Hi, everyone, and welcome to this latest ITM podcast vodcast, recorded live and available on demand on your favorite podcast platform and, of course, on the ITM website. Well, during the pandemic, we've been introducing you to some of the leaders of our industry and the approach that they've been taking to navigate these testing times. Today, we're going to return to our original focus of gaining insights and learnings under specific topics. Today, we're going to hear some of the experiences and takeaways from a travel manager whose company traveled throughout due to the nature of their business. So I'm absolutely delighted to be welcoming award-winning global travel manager of Endeavor Mining PLC and one of the finest storytellers you're ever going to meet, Callum Hawley. Hi, Callum. Good morning or afternoon now, isn't it? That's uh, doesn't get old, the award-winning, thanks. <laughs> How are you? I know you're in the office today. I am in the office today, just, uh, well, especially for this, really, make sure that everyone can see and hear me perfectly well but i'm good thank you a bit tired looking forward to the end of the year hopefully get a bit of a rest but yeah all good how are you yeah very good thank you really good to see you. i'm looking forward to this um so many things you're known for i think that my favorite scarf wearer and uh, all sorts <laughs> of other things but callum for those that don't know you why don't we start off by just giving us a very brief uh, career resume and how you came to be in this particular role yeah so i sort of fell into the corporate travel world. I started in the leisure travel market, working for two tour operators, one outbound from the UK and then one, sorry, one inbound to the UK and then one outbound from the US. And back in 2018, I decided I, thought I had enough and, you know, it'd been great, but it was time to sort of find what the next chapter was. And I was at my best friend's wedding um and my now boss was in the audience and I gave my best man speech and was asked afterwards if oh you work in travel yeah can you you know airline relationships and travel policies and yeah yeah I'll give it a crack sort of a thing it's a quick interview a few weeks later and uh, and here we are three years three years down the line and and uh yeah lots of lots of fun lots of challenges um and and that's where we are you know now Incredible. So your best man speech was in effect your kind of first interview. That's that was the first that. interview, yeah, which <laughs> it would appear that I nailed, which was great. I'd love to hear that speech. So uh, why don't you just tell us a little bit more uh, so we can put the context of our chat today, um, a bit more about Endeavour and the kind of travel that's needed to be done at your company. Yeah, so we are one of the world's largest gold producers. Um, we are the largest in West Africa. We've got mines in Senegal, Cote d'Ivoire, uh, Burkina Faso. Uh, listed on the London Stock Exchange, Toronto Stock Exchange. Our headquarters are in London. We've got a regional hub in Abidjan, which is in Côte d'Ivoire. Um, and so we employ about 6,500 people, um, of which about 95% um, are local local nationals to the West African markets that we, we operate in. Fascinating kind of travel that must be, and um, a pretty future-proof business you're in there, I think. Gold uh, is likely Absolutely. to always be valued. So tell us about the, the kind of travel then, because I know that so many of us, sadly, have, have, have dramatically reduced travel. But how, how did your travel continue through the pandemic, and how was it different versus pre-pandemic? Yeah, so I mean, I feel very privileged to an extent that, you know, unlike Lots of people. I did have a job during the pandemic. Um, there were times where I thought, oh, it would be nice to have a few weeks off. But hey, there we go. We're, you know, we're not your sort of normal corporate, I suppose. And, you know, we're not doing 
uh, you know, London, New York, or, or Frankfurt, Singapore, all, all the usual hubs that we would think of in in the major multinationals and, and, and smaller corporates. But it is global and generally into and out of West Africa. So we, whilst 95% are local employees, we, that other 5% would be our sort of experienced um, expatriates. So we're bringing people in from all over. So Australia, America, South Africa, Europe, uh, Malaysia, Philippines. Um, we represented about 137 different points of origin uh, over the course of 2020 and 2021. So it's challenging in the normal times. Uh, it becomes even more challenging when there's a global crisis and it's not a case of little schedules. It's a case of no schedules and a case of closed borders. So whereas many, uh, you know, many nations around the world did, did very similar things. Uh, obviously, in the UK, we sort of kept borders open, but with some, well, lots of restrictions um, and barriers to travel. In West Africa, every every nation in West Africa closed their borders um, from the end of March. So it was a case of no one was allowed in, no one was really allowed out. There was the odd repatriation flight um, put on by different governments, but that was it. Um, so it was a case of, well, goodness, we have people that need to get to work and people that need to get home to families, etc., cetera, and, and have a rest. Uh, and we have people that need to get around West Africa um, to, you know, to transfer their skills between the different sites. So it, it became a, well, a logistical nightmare overnight, really. Um, and a bit of a, as I'm sure many companies went through, a bit of a scramble to figure out how do we keep operating, you know, as you mentioned, gold's a, a highly precious um, resource. And so in a positive, and but also in a, a, a sad way, um, we have to try and operate as much as possible during those crises where, uh, you know, it's beneficial for us as a business. Do you, um, mean say, do you mean to say, Callum, you can't mine gold over Zoom? No, I know. I'm surprised. Apparently, you can do mining online, but it's definitely not gold. Um, I think Bitcoin and all of that sort of stuff is a, a you know a, a great mining uh, bit that you can do from home. But yeah, definitely not gold. So I guess uh, you mentioned the complexities of, of, of border um, regulations that change so dramatically. And of course, back in those, no, no one was an expert in this. So you had to become one of the first experts, I imagine, to to keep your company turning over effectively. How do you get your head around that, those complexities of, of border crossings and how did the way that you interact with your travellers change during the pandemic? Yeah, I, I can definitely say that there was a lot of sleepless nights, especially for those first sort of two, three months um, where the challenges, you know, I suppose as soon as it happened, um, they were impossible, you know, but you quickly have to figure out and look outside the box. What can we do? How can we do it? Who are the main stakeholders within the business that can assist? Um, you know, we're very fortunate that we have a, a superb security team that um, obviously given the nature of the world that we work in are highly important there, but also they have contacts um, with local governments and um, the necessary people that we would maybe need to have approval from in order to move people in and out of the country. Um, so we quite quickly, 
at first we thought, well, maybe we can rely on some repatriation flights. We can we can definitely move people home, but it was the getting people back into the country. Um, and then those repatriation flights over the course of a four, six-week period started simmering down and, and, and disappearing as, you know, governments felt that they'd got their people home. Um, and we had to sort of move to plan B, to, at risk of sounding like Boris. Um, and in the end, we took the decision as a business that we were going to charter flights. Um, it was something that I'd never done. It was something that we as a business have done locally in the West African market, but never in a, you know, a, a major sort of long haul capacity. Um, and so we, yeah, we sat down, we figured out who we had where, um, what logistically made sense, what commercial schedules we could maybe take advantage of to get people into one hub. Um, and in the end, we, we operated simultaneously, uh, one from Europe, so we put Amsterdam as a hub and moved people down to West Africa. And we did South Africa as another hub to bring in the Southern African employees um, over. And, and obviously they stopped at each of our operational uh, points of entry um, and then returned with the people that were going home. So it was a, yeah, when you say quickly become an expert, I had absolutely no experience at all in, in, in this style of, of travel, but you do it, you learn, you figure it out. And whether that's at 2 a.m., 8 a.m. or 1 p.m., you, you just figure it. Um, so I think anyone that works in travel has a, a good logistical head on them. Um, I'm quite lucky that uh, growing up, I was able to travel with my parents um, to lots of different places. So geographically, my knowledge was pretty good of who was where and I sort of pride myself on knowing minutiae of flight routes and things, a bit of a geek when it comes to those sorts of things. So that definitely helped um, at that point, understanding how we could, you know, we can get that person to there and then to here. And, um, and so in the end, we, uh, yeah, we operated those two and then a further four. Um, but of course, it's a big expense. It's a huge expense. And so we were also conscious that there were lots of people both trying to get back to, to the West African nations that we operate in and other nationals um, of other countries trying to get home. You know, lots of other businesses in, in a similar situation to us. Um, and so we sort of said to our employees and to our, you know, competitors and peers in different companies, look, we are doing this. Do you want to be a part of it? Um, you know, we need names and passport details, etc. But we can help to facilitate to get your your people on it so in the end we we represented 35 different countries companies and individual um citizens to get them home or back to work and so we I think we traveled about 980 uh people on on our um six charter flights in the end amazing i mean we always say at itm Callum how resourceful adaptable and creative travel managers have to be in normal times but um, yeah, necessity really uh, drives that to the extreme, doesn't it? It sounds like you got into extraordinary level of problem solving. Yeah, I mean, I must admit, at the end of last year, when we sort of, it looked like we might be, or beginning of this year, when it looked like we might be sort of coming out, I sat down and, and wrote a few bits down. Um, in fact, for the for the Business Travel Awards, 
I jotted some bits down for, for them. And it was only really when I put on paper the things that we'd achieved and the things that we had, uh, you know, performed and done. that I thought, wow, okay, this, you know, this isn't normal. Um, this is something that really, you know, it, it's something that we take great pride in. Um, and you know, speaking to government officials in order to get approvals for special flights, which, you know, I, I remember sitting there at, at 4 a.m. one morning with one of the South Africa flights coming over, and we didn't have one piece of paper um, which we required for the AOC um, to sort of, you know, be allowed to, uh, and the carrier to be allowed to land in Abidjan. And um, the, the operator was phoning me saying, what do we do? And I sort of, well, we've already done one of these, and it went fine. And in a, a typically... Um, risky way for me I just said take off take off and we will do you know we'll be hammering on those doors and that's exactly what we were you know we were at the office not personally but members of the team were at the office making sure that that document did come through and it did uh, two hours into the six hour flight and you know we sort of sat down and breathed a huge sigh of relief that in four hours time the, the, the team would be touching down and and, and there would be no uh, illegalities happening um, under our watch. So, you know, there were times where you just had, you had to take a bit of a risk. You had to be resourceful. Um, yeah, if you'd have asked me three years ago if in 2020 I would be trying to get different ministers of West African government's approval for a special flight because the borders were closed, I'd have said you were bonkers. Now... If we had to do it again, it's a hurdle opposed to, a, a you know, it's not impossible. And I love that metaphor of that flight. You remind me of the words of a previous chair of ITM, Karen Hutchins, who says that, you know, with any kind of opportunity, especially career opportunities, say yes, learn how to do it along yeah, the way. Yeah, figure out how to do it. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a big advocate for that. I know something else you are, Callum, is, is a very you know, compassionate uh, individual t- towards everybody. But uh, in terms of travellers, you, you take great care to make sure that they're taken care of. And um, I know there's, there's a, there's, there are stories you can tell us of travellers being uh, sort of caught up in situations. Any that you'd share with our, with our listeners? Yeah, you know, I can think of one in particular, which you know, sits right at the fore of my mind um, still today. And... It's nice to, to, to think that you know, I can be seen as the person that cares because every single one of our employees that's traveling has my full attention if they ever need it. Um, and no more so than in a global crisis where you know, we're all struggling through both personal and professional parts to it. We had a, a, a chap who, his family, he was from Tajikistan, which pre-pandemic is not the easiest of places to get people into and out of West Africa. Um, during a pandemic, it, it, it is virtually impossible. Anyway, we'd managed to find for him um, a repatriation flight to Paris and then a repatriation flight from Paris through to, to Dushanbe in Tajikistan. All was fine. Boarded the first flight. We thought, great, big sigh of relief. And then 8 o'clock in the morning, we got a phone call to say, my repatriation flight to Tajikistan has been cancelled. Right, okay. Of course, there's no commercial opportunities um, to Tajikistan. And, of course, you can't be landside at an airport 
without an onward ticket legally. So we had to figure that one out first. You know, we cannot afford for this person to be arrested. Um, so thankfully, through some contacts of, of um, some of our senior management, we were able to get a hold of the police at Ruasi, um, who then went and found uh, the gentleman and took his passport off him, gave him a bed, gave him some food. They were fabulous. Um, whilst we scrambled around to find out what do we do. He was there for 72 hours. It's a bit like the film Terminal, really. I mean, you know, and I sort of spoke to him a couple of times each day whilst he was in Paris. And incredibly sadly, whilst he was in Paris, his father passed away. Um, so not only was he stranded, but his father had passed away. His mother had then been admitted to hospital with COVID and his wife was struggling with their children. So I can definitely say it's probably one of the most emotional times I've ever had in, in any role that I've ever done um, to, to, you know, listen to a, a, an adult incredibly emotional and, and sad, but to be the, the positive as, or as positive as possible behind the scenes helping him. In the end, we managed to get him a flight to Minsk. You know, Belarus didn't really, uh, didn't really believe in COVID. I'm not sure that they still do, but definitely didn't believe in COVID when it all kicked off. And I think their um, president's answer to, to COVID was, oh, it's fine. We can use brothels and vodka or something. So we thought, great, Tajikistan, Belarus, great allies. Um, we got him on a flight to Mint. Oh, you're on mute there, Scott. I just want to point out for our listeners, not recommended measures by the World Health. World Definitely Health. not approved. No, 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 or recommended. Um, we got him to Minsk on the, under the impression that there was going to be a repatriation flight to Dushanbe two days later. Great. Turns out there wasn't. Um, he then spent a month in Minsk um, in an Airbnb, going to the Tajik embassy every day like you would go to work knocking on the door, saying, I'm still here. And I, I would speak to him most days, um, you know, five, ten minutes, just to make sure that he was okay. Um, and, of course, he wasn't, because he'd lost parents, and uh, his mother then died, sadly, of COVID whilst he was in Minsk. So he started his travel with both parents and finished his travel with neither parent, which ugh, I don't ever imagine how that would have felt. Um, but in the end, after a month in Minsk, we did get him home. Um, he was, has been eternally grateful. Um, and it's one of those stories from a COVID time, which is both heartwarming in many ways that you managed to get them home. A great example of duty of care, um, but also incredibly sad for, for him personally. Yeah, an extreme example of duty of care. I mean, you, you're, you're really a lifeline for that that traveller. So um, really important. We'll get on to talking about you know, the evolving role of the travel manager through this. As you well know, um, Callum, uh, ITM, we we always try to take the positives out of any situation. I know you do personally too. So, you know, even through the toughest of times like this, what, what advantages have you been able to take from this period? Yeah, so I mean, I think I've, I've said to yourself before and, uh, and to others that there was so much negativity with COVID and obviously people losing jobs and businesses going under, et cetera, which was horrific. And, but I do always try to find opportunities where, um, you know, doors closing, there are other doors opening. And 
I suppose one of our big ones was relationships with airlines. You know, we're we're not a, 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 a multinational, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars um, travel spend for, for airlines, but we're not we're not a small amount either. So getting that foot in the door, um, we have a couple of major carriers. One in particular who we've been trying for a few years to get a contract with, and, and you know assist the travel portfolio and some savings etc anyway as covid happened obviously we were still traveling and as other corporates dropped off the most traveled list we sort of started creeping up it um and with the um you know people being put on furlough and key account managers disappearing onto furlough all of a sudden the only people that you could speak to really were at the top of the tree um and so in the end that door did open um, and we started to be sort of taken, um, what's the right word? Uh, people were looking at us going, ah, look, here's, here's some business, here's some money, let's, let's, let's have a chat to them. And, and so we did and six months later we, we did have a, a global contract on the table and um, it, it was a major a major feat for us, really, something that we've been trying to achieve. And actually, without COVID, it would probably be another 12 months away. Um, but with a bit of diligent um, toing and froing and ducking and diving, we managed to get there. But with all all relationships, I think I was keen to make sure that people did know that we existed, that we were still travelling and functioning. Um, and so we were able to renegotiate with certain uh, suppliers based on the fact that we had very similar volume, if not more, after two transactions. Uh, you know, we acquired two, two other companies during the pandemic. Um, so our travel portfolio was growing. But I took it as a, a great opportunity to open those doors and, and, and renegotiate with, with certain suppliers. A great example, isn't it, of taking advantage of opportunities? And I know the situation was different with your TMC because you always already had a strong relationship, but they must have been a very in- integral partner uh, as you've been going through this journey as well. Yeah, huge. And I will mention them if I'm allowed, which is ATPI, because they deserve all the recognition for the, for the assistance that they gave to us throughout the pandemic. Um, not just with I mean, I, I won't have been the easiest of clients, I'm sure, during it. Um, you know, we were travelling. I did have expectations of, you know, similar similar levels of service. Of course, there was a level of empathy that doesn't, you know, the amount of skeleton staff that they're working on. Um, but even when it came down to the charter flights, their ability to assist us with the building of manifests, um, et cetera, was was a huge part and a huge chunk of that operation um, that without, I, I'm not sure it would have been possible. Um, so we do have a fabulous relationship. It's probably stronger than it's ever been as a result of the assistance that we've received. Um, and uh, I, I think we were lucky that we had a close relationship beforehand. Um, and, you know, relationship, I keep mentioning the word, it's hugely important to me. You know, we're, partnerships, I think, is maybe a better turn of phrase opposed to relationship because they become your friends and allies. Um, you know, I don't want Endeavour to ever just be a number to anybody. Um, we, we want to be a face and 
be friendly and, and you know have those relationships and partnerships with companies but yeah ATPI were fabulous kudos to them and you know care taken when times are tough people have long memories of that stuff so yeah and rightly so. And I know a lot of our buyer members are uh, one-person operations in terms of a, a one-person travel team, and you're the same. So, you know, that must have been a, a great comfort to you. We're talking a lot at the moment about the evolving role of the travel manager. Your position's evolved, and arguably, if anything, you, your organization is almost too reliant upon you just now because everything flows through you in terms of the complexity of travel. Some travel managers are going to be adjusting to be becoming more involved in travel but you've almost got the opposite challenge haven't you you've got to try to extricate yourself from some of these prices how, how do you plan to do that i think the, the complete honest answer is i don't really know um there's a few there's a a few threads to it i think at the moment and you're absolutely right the reliant for information more than anything um you know there's so much changing on a daily basis again that sometimes people just look to our person for that information um so i am at that point now where uh, sometimes receiving six seven hundred emails a day um and it's impossible then to ensure that you give the level of service which you know all my employees i treat as sort of customers um that level of service to them so there is an element of I have to try and now step back and start feeding things back into the more ordinary uh, processes that we have in place. I'll be completely honest, to an extent, I'd rather be trying to build back up. Um, but then at times I have to think, well, I'm thankful that I'm not having to try and build back up and, and going the other way. Um, we've got some new systems coming into place, which will help some of that process um and it's it's a learning curve for me personally i think i have to be less selfless at times it sounds very modest and to be less selfless at times to sort of say ah for that can you please speak to for this can you please speak to because you know i I can't do everything and um yeah it's going to be a challenge it's going to take time you know, we've had 18 months, nearly two years of this. So it, it's very easy to quickly become the, the figurehead. And that's fine. You can stay as the figurehead, you know, in emergency situations or in, in, in those moments of, sort of dire need. But for an actual operational process, we have to move back to you know, how we were working beforehand. Um, and there's a little bit of hand-holding. There's a little bit of sort of putting barriers up to ensure that you direct people into the right way um and we will get there i know we will um but yeah there's a there's a there's a few more few more months i would say of um of working on it to to get to that point interesting challenge i'm even more impressed that you reply to my email so quickly you get five six hundred that's crazy oh, you're up there it's always comes then there's always like a little red exclamation mark on yours i don't know Interesting. What does that mean? <laughs> We're always out of time, kind of. I want to make sure before we end, I ask you because the experience you've had, which is you know relatively um, uncommon experience, where you've been uh, having travel like this. What lessons would you pass on to our buyers and, and suppliers too, in terms of the, the last couple of years? I think we've mentioned one already, which is you know where a door closes, another door opens, and it is definitely to take advantage of opportunities that that you can do in those situations 
Um, I think another one which will go to both buyers and suppliers is be honest. And I know it sounds maybe a bit silly, but there's we're always competing for you know good deals here and airlines are maybe competing for market share there and that's all good and well but being open and honest um comes above anything and i'm i'm a very i'll tell people look you know we haven't got business for you this year or we've got more um and i would like to think when i tell people we've got more they realize that this is truthful this isn't a, an idea um but i i think my final one would probably be be bold um you know if you're not happy with something say so and that goes both you know internally whether it's processes policies whatever uh, or externally when you're speaking to to buyers suppliers in whichever direction be bold and and let them know that you're not happy with something or that you think that that could be better. Um, you know, we can all learn from each other, but we can't learn if we're all hiding behind something and just saying it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, um, because sometimes it's not. Well, very well put. Candor is never a bad thing, is it? And um, you're always so candid with us and our members and, and so generous with your sharing, Callum. So thank you so much for joining us today. I just want to say as well, congratulations on the uh, cliche lockdown puppy just last week. I know. That's why I'm looking a bit, you know, bit white face, bags under the eyes. You know, we were supposed to get these puppies at the start of the pandemic, right, Callum? Yeah, well, I mean, we've been waiting for a year, so. <laughs> but no, it's a fabulous Christmas edition. I'll bet it'll be a happy Christmas in your house, I'm sure. Callum, thank you so much for joining us and show. I could talk to you quite literally all day long, so we're going to have to have you back one day soon. Um, thank you so much for your sharing of your insights, Callum Hawley. Thank you. Well, that's it for this ITM Vodcast podcast. My enormous thanks to Callum. He's such a treat to talk to. One of the best storytellers and sharers you will come across. We'll see you and hear from you on the next ITM podcast. See you soon.